Greetings. Welcome to the Money Script Podcast. I'm your host, Johanse Harrison, financial advisor and financial literacy educator. In each episode, you'll hear incredible interviews and get tips and strategies that you can implement into your daily life to help you improve your money script and grow your wealth. Thank you for taking some time with me today. Let's get into this episode of the Money Script. Welcome back, everyone, to the Money Script Podcast. So good to have each and every one of you here with me today. Hopefully everyone's staying healthy, keeping your hands clean, uh, staying home if you're sick, all of those things. We're learning a lot about this virus. It's a very dynamic and very fluid situation here in, in the United States across the globe. It's a global pandemic. And like you, I have a lot of questions. So I decided to call an expert. I reached out to Dr. Fagan. Liz or Elizabeth Fagan. I've been an ER physician for more than 25 years. Liz is my go-to for all things medical. Liz, tell us, um, educate us please on what's going on with this coronavirus, excuse me, COVID-19. So coronavirus was um, discovered in Wuhan, China at the end of 2019. And the, um, I think the most important word in its name is novel, meaning new. So while we have lots of coronaviruses, in fact, the common cold frequently is a coronavirus, but the, um, this is a new one that we had not seen before. So that's why it was novel. And it has been renamed now COVID-19 rather than coronavirus. It's a respiratory illness um, and it is spread by respiratory droplets. Um, so technically not airborne in the way that some other illnesses are, but the droplets come out when somebody coughs or sneezes. So if you're within three to six feet of someone, you could potentially inhale those respiratory droplets. And then more importantly, when somebody has respiratory droplets, they cough or sneeze on the surfaces, you can pick them up there by touch. Um, and so since it's a novel virus and no one has seen it before, none of the people in the world have an immunity towards it. That's why it is particularly contagious. Um, because most other illnesses, people have had some exposure and or vaccination to. And so we don't see the um, high rate of contagion. The, but just to put it into kind of perspective, we've had about 110,000 documented cases worldwide. And that's, I'd like to tell you, I'm going to go with the flu side by side. So you can see we've had somewhere between 36 and 50 million flu cases worldwide. Wow. At the beginning of this week, it was. 34 states plus D.C. in the United States had a little over 500 cases with 19 deaths. The flu has had 22 to 50,000 deaths already. So just to kind of keep it in balance, right, the flu is also a virus. Of the 19 people who have died, um, the, um, 18 of the 19 deaths were in Washington. One death was in California, and almost half of the cases of COVID-19 that we have in the United States have been in California or Washington. So who is getting this virus? It's predominantly an adult virus, which is interesting. Less than 2% of the cases have been in those less than 19. The risk increases as you get older, specifically after age 60, and the risk continues to increase as you age, and the highest risk is those patients greater than 80, especially if they have serious underlying illnesses, and those would be diabetes, 
heart disease, lung disease like emphysema, asthma, cancer, et cetera. And so um, your greatest risk is if you are exposed to someone who is sick, obviously, and that you can catch it that way. China's results are what we are basing it on because um, they have the longest history of it. And obviously a novel illness, we are talking about a history of four months. Um, 80% of their cases actually were mild and everyone recovered. 15 to 20% of those cases had serious illness, again, predominantly in those high risk categories. Any questions about that so far? Is it, it seems like a, a lot of the, the, the panic, I mean, the fear is real. We don't want anyone to get sick. But if we put it in perspective with some of the other viruses that we deal with on an annual basis, I mean, so far it doesn't sound as bad as maybe the media is making it sound. Or not just the media, but people. Because one of the things I noticed is that, um, uh, what was the, the, other, the swine flu virus? So the swine flu... Is that H1N1? Do I have that right? Um, yep, from 2009. 2009. So interesting statistic. In 2009, Facebook had about 125 million users. And today they have, I believe it's just shy of two and a half billion. So wow. I, I think that part of what has happened with this, because you know, I've seen the images of, you know, the, the, the stores being out of toilet paper. I've seen the images of stores being out of feminine products and out of water and things of that nature, because those images are recycling themselves all over um, the internet. And then the news picks it up because it's good news. And then the market's going down. It, it seems just like a perfect storm to, that could maybe drive this a little out of proportion, but still it's a serious virus nonetheless, because we, as I, I, I don't believe you said it, but I, I think I've read this myself. We don't have a cure yet. We're working on it. Um, so there isn't no, a, no cure and no vaccine as of yet. Um, I think that a lot of the fears that are coming are that the, the influenza mortality is 0.1%. And the concern is, is that the uh, COVID-19 may potentially have a 4% mortality risk. Uh, now, that, that risk in and of itself, um, if you look at the, um, what's been going on in the United States so far, is that the recommendations from the CDC and the health department, who at this point we need permission from in order to do the testing um, from the hospital side, um, are that we are testing those who are hospitalized. And so we are testing a sicker population of the people who may be infected. And so I'm not certain that we actually have the true extent of COVID-19 for the United States as of now, because we haven't been testing um, widespread, like we do with the flu, those who are um, mild to moderately ill. And so um, there are, are some people who are predicting that the mortality rate will come down as we start to test more of the people who are not as sick, which is the way we test the influenza virus. Got it. So that, that sounds we, like... We just, oh, we just won't know. We just, we just honestly won't know until we get um, some more time under our belt so that we can determine... What is the um, what is COVID nineteen's impact on the United States going to be? Now, uh, one of the questions I'm going to pick out my cat who's trying to have their say in this conversation. <laughs> well, that that was actually uh, another question that I received is um, yeah could do because uh, the, some of the rumors that have come out is that this comes from uh, the, this virus that lives with bats that are in the 
caves of China or something. And then you have the movie of um, uh, what was that uh, contagion, which displays that same thing, a, a bat and a pig and a, a pig eats the bat species. And then the, um, I know I'm giving away the movie. Sorry, everyone. Everyone's seen it by now, but, <laughs> and, and then the pig. No. So yeah. Yeah. Coronaviruses frequently um, come from an animal reservoir and come across. And so um, there is the, um, thought that this did originate in an animal market in Wuhan, China, and crossed over into the human population. But now it's human to human transition, human to human transmission, not animal to people transmission. So you don't need to worry about your pets and things like that in the United States. Got it. Got it. So w- with it living on or the virus surviving, as you said, on surfaces from droplets, um, I know mm-hmm. unlike the back of um, uh, some cleansers, and I think Clorox was in the news about this, uh, the back of the cleansers list that it kills the coronavirus, but that's not technically this coronavirus because you said this one is, or excuse me, COVID-19, because it says coronavirus, but it doesn't say COVID-19. So are we confident it that? Should, it should, it should, yes, it should still work. Um, any alcohol-based wipe or spray, as long as it's greater than 70%, um, should kill the virus on the surface give it about 60 seconds and then dry the surface. Um, And it's one of the things I wanted to talk about And all of the information that I am giving you today um, came from the CDC website. So um, it's a wonderful resource and people should use it regularly and freely. They update it um, almost continuously, but the things I'd like to talk about too, it would be how to keep you from getting sick and then how you can prepare for what may be, you know, kind of a rough few weeks as we, kind of navigate through this um, novel pandemic. And the, the main thing is, if you are sick, you need to cover your cough and sneeze, right? Cough into your elbow, carry a Kleenex, cough into the Kleenex, but try and avoid coughing into an open hand because then you will just either touch your face or touch a surface, touch something else and spread it, or just coughing or sneezing into open air because then you are, um, you are spewing out respiratory droplets to land on other people and or surfaces. Um, Don't share eating utensils, cups, towels, or bedding with others. Um, And then clean all high-touch surfaces at least once a day. And high-touch surfaces would be things like um, your counters, tables, doorknobs, the flusher button on the toilet, you know, sink handles. Look, just take a, a look around your house and see what surfaces get touched all the time and clean those regularly. Um, when you are out and, out and about, avoid contact with six, sick people. Respiratory droplets typically will not spread beyond six feet. So keep um, a minimum of three, but preferably six feet away from someone who is sick. Wash your hands as often as possible. Use hand sanitizer. Try to avoid touching surfaces in public places. So the um, if you think about um, maybe, you know, you could use a pencil to press the elevator button. Don't touch the handles in store in stairwells, right? You know, use a piece of Kleenex to, um, to protect you and your hands when you're using doorknobs. After you've used the restroom, I know that all of you um, are good about washing your hands. And I would love to tell you that the rest of the world is too, but they are not. So um, after you've done washed and drying your hands, carry the paper towel with you to the door and use it to open the door um, as you go out because not everybody is as attentive to hygiene and cleans their hands. 
I noticed I was out, uh, went to a coffee shop a couple of days ago. And when you pay, they have the iPad and they wanted you to sign the iPad. And I just kind of looked at it like, I don't really want to touch that right now. Um, can, can I do something else? And she said, yeah, Apple pay. And I said, why didn't you say that? So the beauty of the Google pay and the Apple pays and those that are non-touch is you don't have to press in your pin number on that pin pad that the person just touched in front of you or, uh, or even sign on the iPad that I'm sure they don't clean too often. So, um, no, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And if you um, do have to touch those items immediately use hand sanitizer afterwards and then allow your hands to dry before you touch anything else. And for parents out there, pay particularly close attention to your children because their very nature as they, uh, their brains grow and mature is exploring their environment and they frequently touch their face and their hands. And those are high risk um, for sharing. Luckily the virus does not seem to be particularly um, uh, targeted at children, but let's, we would like to try and keep them all safe. But couldn't a um, child still carry the virus though? You said, I mean, if, if, yep, theoretically yeah. they could. So okay. is it that the children aren't getting it or is it they're getting such a mild case that we don't notice? Um, those are some of the questions that we'll have answered as we start to test more people. Um, and then we will get a better handle too on, because um, typically if you've been exposed, you can become ill anywhere from one to 14 days. And the average is about five, although they say 5.2 to be exact, um, days is when you get sick after an exposure. But the question is, is um, since 80% of the illnesses are mild, at what point do you become contagious? And is it only after you've developed symptoms? We know that that's the largest time that you are contagious, but um, there is some concern that you are potentially contagious before you develop symptoms. Those answers we won't know until we get more information from testing and following this disease process out with more people. And the other question we don't know is how long are you contagious once you've become sick? You know, is it once you stop, once you start feeling better, are you not contagious? Is it once you stop having symptoms that you aren't? Is it um, when you stop having symptoms plus five days? We just don't know that answer. And that's why we're really stressing that people be cautious, mindful, um, use really good hygiene. And then if you've noticed, we have tremendous numbers of closures of large public events. And that is, um, we are trying to still contain the spread. Um, and by reducing um, where you are in a large crowd, while we know that coronavirus is going to, or COVID-19 is going to continue to spread and more people in the country are going to develop it, we're trying to flatten the curve by reducing exposure. And that's why we're telling you to avoid crowds, especially those in poorly ventilated spaces, like if you are inside and then I believe the federal government just requested that um, people not um, travel on cruise ships, especially if you have any chronic medical illnesses. Um, and so, um, but the, the flattening of the curve, I think, is important because if we can reduce the number of people that are infected, I think that we will be able to reduce the number of people who have serious illnesses and or mortality. Now, it, how much of this that's going on is similar to what may have happened in isolated areas during the H1N1 or I don't know, we could date back to Zika or any other virus that has you know, kind of consumed us. I mean, I haven't seen anything in my lifetime other than I feel like H1N1 was isolated, but the measures that are being taken, is this normal? Is this unprecedented? I mean, I, I 
I believe I I think it's unprecedented. Um, but even the H1N1, it was a new strain of flu, but this is a novel coronavirus and um, that that no one has had any exposure to. And the fact that it's so contagious, and you wouldn't think of it from 2009 to 2020, our um, worldwide travel has just continued to exponentially increase, True. meaning that the spread was so much was so much quicker. You know, just a, a person on a plane who lands or in an airport, etc. It's it's more difficult the more traveled that we become for us to contain things like this. There was a couple of the questions. Oh, here was one. Uh, and I think I actually pulled up the CDC website and I think I found the answer there. But the question was, will it go away in the summer? Um, cause that's, they say that, that, that the viruses tend to die in the summer, but then I heard Tom Hanks got it in Australia and I think it's summer there. Um, yeah, so we don't, we don't actually expect it to go away as early as this summer. We think that people will continue to get this virus, um, for, um, for, a, for a few months. Um, but again, those predictions, we need more time. Um, patient experiences and testing um, percentages before we can make good, accurate predictions for that. Um, I do have some other recommendations, though, just for people to keep in mind um, as you're thinking about it. And that would just simply be um, as we see the numbers of closures and things that are coming, there may be issues with um, childcare, not just for yourself, but potentially with people who are responsible for the infrastructure of our um, normal day-to-day tasks. And so we're recommending that if you have prescription medications, that you go ahead and pre-fill them as much as you can so you have plenty on hand. And that would go for the over-counter medicines that you might need as well, something that you would need to treat fever or upper respiratory symptoms, et cetera. Um, We recommend that you keep hand sanitizer in your car and by your doors, in your purse if you're carrying it for ease of use. Um, that you have some easy-to-prepare meals. I believe that the CDC is recommending two weeks of food supply, if possible, that um, that you should um, know where the copies of your personal health records are from your doctors or hospitals or pharmacies in case you get sick and you aren't able to access those as readily as you are normally. And then having a plan with your family members and your loved ones, like, if one, someone who lives with you becomes ill, what is your plan? What room are they going to stay in? How are they, you know, what room are they going to bathe in or go to the bathroom in or where are they going to eat? How are you going to take care of them? It's nice to know that everyone in your household and or friends or family that you may be responsible for if they become ill, to have a complete list of all of their medical conditions, a complete list of their medications, including the dosage the frequency, the instructions, and the indications, and then lastly, the names and phone numbers of all of their healthcare providers so that you have that information on hand for someone that you wouldn't typically be responsible for their healthcare if you have that. And then if you are a single parent or a dual parent home, do you have a plan if you and your significant other, spouse, partner, both become sick, who is going to come and care for your child? Do you have backup plans for things like that? Um, And I think that I hope that you never have to use any of those backup plans, but I'm a big fan of knowing the plan so that just in case it happens, you're prepared. Well put. Sounds a lot like financial planning. I love it. 
knowing the plan <laughs> just in case, just in case. Well, again, thank you so much, Liz, for spending some time with us, helping us uh, to find some good resources for, um, uh, for information about COVID-19. I will practice using the new name as well. Um, and, uh, and, and thank you for, for the tips. Uh, that's something that Alicia and I, we had a long conversation about last night and we realized there's a couple of holes in our plan. We said, oh, we, we got to close those gaps. Uh, so we'll figure it out. Oh, I almost forgot. I, I forgot to mention one thing. I did yeah. notice that um, today Delta cut flights by 50 percent. Uh, there was one other question that came in last minute and it was, is it safe to fly? So obviously, just like we were talking about um, avoiding crowded spaces or avoiding um being in areas with poorly ventilated space, obviously an airplane is basically a tube. So is it safe to fly? Certainly. Would I use hand sanitizer liberally? Yes. Um, would I keep my distance from people who are sick, coughing, etc.? I definitely would. I would. This is not the time to be in the thick of things at the most popular place to have coffee um, or a drink while you're waiting for your flight. And probably not even the place to rush to the front of the line so that uh, you get bumped and jostled by everybody that's there. But I think if you keep your space three to six feet, um, you practice really good um, hygiene and you're cautious and careful that it's safe to fly. Although if you have chronic medical diseases, I might um, avoid, uh, avoid travel. And I know that the CDC is recommending avoiding all non-essential travel, but I know that sometimes we need to fly and, and it is essential travel. Maybe someone is sick or we are required to for work. So I wouldn't say that you can't fly, but I would want you to be careful flyers. Well put. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very, very much. Well, again, Dr. Fagan, we appreciate You're you. Um, and remember everyone, CDC is the best place for information. I know you may have found this podcast on Instagram or on Facebook or any of the other social media. When you want information about COVID-19, yes, we gave you some great information. Go to the CDC, go to their website, Allow them to be your source of news for all things related to infectious diseases, viruses, and everything else else that's on the CDC website. Uh, so, Dr. Fagan, I'll let you get back to uh, to saving lives. And thanks again for joining us on the Money Script Podcast. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the Money Script Podcast. Be sure to check out our other episodes. Subscribe, follow, and give us five stars. Continue to send your financial questions on Twitter or Instagram at The Money Script. Go to moneyscriptwealth.com and schedule your complimentary consultation to discuss your specific goals and concerns. Financial advisory and investment management services are offered by Money Script Wealth Management PLLC, a registered investment advisory firm registered in the state of Texas and California and other states where exempt. The Money Script LLC and the Manuscript Wealth Management PLLC and guests of the episode may have interest in the investments mentioned today. The opinions and views are expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation for any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a significant loss of principal. The Manuscript nor Manuscript Wealth Management offer tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax advisor or attorney for specific advice about your situation. Until next time.